a study released this past week declares that more Americans suffer from anxiety, stress, and depression than ever before. Ron Porter from Newsweek reports around 8.3 million people suffer from some form of serious psychological distress, which is defined as a mental health problem serious enough to require medical treatment. Porter sums up that this means that now 3.4% of Americans suffering with this distress is up from 3% a decade ago. Now, I'm not going to pretend to understand all the details of this study, nor all of the implications, but reading the headline this week broke my heart. It makes me sad, frustrated, angry, that in this land, a vast amount of opportunity and resources, more and more fellow countrymen continue to live in this kind of distress and others. So my main question became, what am I to do? A follow-up question, church, what are we to do? You see, I believe that you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ have opportunities to help. We are called to be a city on a hill, to offer light in the darkness and bring living water to the thirsty and to the desperate. A great many of you do this very well, and you lead your lives in such a way to help others see Jesus. And we're going to talk about that more in a couple of weeks of what that looks like in our lives as we wrap up this short series entitled In Response to Love. But for now, let me share with you the greatest command that we can easily dismiss living out in our everyday lives. You see, it appears that too often we can act like the Israelites who though they had actual food falling from heaven for their provision, they forgot who gave them that manna. They lost sight of the goodness of God, his grace, his mercy, his love, and they became anxious and stressed out about their situation so much that they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink, as Exodus 17, 2 recounts. God had done everything for them and continued to show them his power, and yet they continued to quarrel when things got tough and fight against their leader, Moses. They continued to disobey at times. So I believe that obedience to the Lord always brings blessing. Always brings blessing. Now that blessing does not necessarily include the earthly comfort the way many of us would like to think. But it does include rich fellowship with Almighty God. Ladies and gentlemen, it is good for us to obey the Lord. And we're going to talk about the command that is seen as the greatest of all. Now when we talk about following commands, in my experience, it's pretty common that I, that I hear statements, but whoa, whoa, wait, 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 but I'm saved by grace. I don't earn God's blessing by obedience. I'm free from the law. It's not about a bunch of religious do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship. Okay. How's that relationship going? How deep is it? 
Is there any desire for you to be closer? Is there any room for improvement? Do you need to act like you're in junior high and take a step back and define the relationship to understand who God is? We're going to get back to that in just a moment. During Jesus' ministry, he was confronted multiple times on how his preaching fit into the Old Testament law. One of these episodes unfolds in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. Jesus had just finished telling the Sadducees that in the resurrection, people do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. And he concluded with a reminder that God is the God of living and not the dead. His wisdom-filled answer astonished the crowd. And the story continues in verse 34 of Matthew 22. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Now, can you imagine this scene? Can you imagine the scene? You got a group of guys, Pharisees, coming over like, what in the world are we going to say now? I mean, we know that the Sadducees are wrong about the resurrection, but he just made them look like idiots. What are we going to say? And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? D.A. Carson, in his commentary on Matthew, says this of the lawyer. The expert in the law is here a Pharisee, a scribe, or teacher of the law considered particularly learned. The law, of course, is Scripture, perhaps especially the Pentateuch. But because Scripture was applied to every area of life, including all civil matters, by means of certain interpretive rules and a vast complex of tradition, such an expert was, by modern standards, both a learned theologian and a legal expert. Wouldn't it be great if more of our lawyers were both biblical theologians and legal experts? That is a sermon for another day. In the 12th chapter of his gospel account, Mark also tells of this story of the lawyer asking this question. And to help describe more of the background as to why this question was being asked, Walter W. Wessel states this. The rabbis counted 613 individual statutes in the law, 365 which were negative and 248 positive. Attempts were made to differentiate between the heavy or great and the light or little commandments. The rabbis also made attempts to formulate great principles from which the rest of the law could be deduced. The question arose out of a works righteousness understanding of the law and the keeping of its commandments. So it seems that even the most learned of the Jewish leadership could not quite grasp all of the nuances of the Old Testament. And this question 
highlights that they were still looking for ways to check off boxes of good works, all the while blind to the fact that the Messiah stood right in front of them. It's a good thing we do not ever fall into that trap. Or do we also categorize sins that we commit as light so we can look better than the guy sitting next to us? Jesus' response highlights how much the flesh can get in the way of understanding. Verse 37, he says, it says, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Would you repeat verse 37 with me? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Again, in this scene, Jesus proved his mastery of the law as he brought to mind with his answer the Shema found in Deuteronomy 6, which reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Everything is about the Lord. Now, I'm not sure that anybody in this room would necessarily disagree with that. But it seems like, just like the Hebrews, we struggle with the reality of not a life not being about a bunch of do's and don'ts. For them also, it was for reverence of the only true God, the one who rescued them, they were to live their life set apart by how they worshipped. Instead of falling for idol worship like the nations around them, they were to hold the law in their hearts so that they could live in response to Yahweh's love. They were to live in such a way but in Deuteronomy 6.20, it says, When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, 
that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The Israelites had no more power to save themselves than you and I do today. They were bound up in slavery in Egypt. Loving the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind could only come from understanding that he is the one that rescued him, them. He brought them out of slavery to put them in a life of abundance, giving them the land flowing with milk and honey, a place that he promised to their ancestors. Unless you think that the Old Testament is about a works-based salvation, Hebrews 11 makes that very clear. And Hebrews 11:2 says, For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. It was by faith that the people of God obeyed God and gained a good testimony. The God of love rescued his people by, by trusting him, his work, his love. His people were able to live as worshipers of him and pass that truth on to their children. Now, like the account that we just read about the manna and the grumbling about the water, there were many moments of failure with these men of old. Yet the grace of God, the love of God, has stayed and is present to offer us life today. It is because of the sins of those men of old and ours today that Jesus gave his life. Dedicated to his own glory and righteousness, God came near to us to show us the ultimate example of love. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Because we, who have trusted in Jesus, have been rescued, redeemed by the love of God, then we are to love God. 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. All of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of our actions should be expressed in such a way as to show gratitude for the life we have been given Like the Israelites who recounted their rescue from Egypt, we should live our lives joyfully loving the one who redeemed us from the pit of hell. I like how Ray Stedman described our response to love in his book, The Ruler Who Serves. Mr. Stedman says, man's responsibility is to respond to God's love, which is reaching out to us on every side reaching out in nature, reaching out in the supply of all that is being given to us day by day. We are never to forget that the things we enjoy, the food, the air, the sunshine, the shelter, all of these material things of life that we need come from the hand of God. Mr. Stedman goes on, it is God's goodness protecting us, sheltering us, and watching over us that keeps us from being ravished and destroyed by the forces that are at work for evil in our lives. God's sheltering hand is protecting us. So when you think about the love of God, especially the love that redeems us, the proper and only response of the heart is to love God back with all your heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. So back to my question earlier. How is that relationship going? Are you loving God more today than when you first tasted the freedom that he offered by trusting his son? Are you enjoying him more now than when you did trust him as a little child, going to him knowing that you needed him? I urge you to consider how your love is playing out practically in your life. In order to do that, let me show you the results of another study I saw this week to try to help us evaluate a bit. In this survey, Gallup asked 1,500 Americans why they go to church by asking them to rank seven reasons on their priorities. Here are the seven reasons. I'll read them to you. Sermons are talks that teach you more about Scripture. Sermons are lectures that help you connect religion to your own life. Spiritual programs geared toward children and teenagers. Lots of community outreach and volunteer opportunities. Dynamic religious leaders who are interesting and inspiring. Social activities that allow you to get to know people in your community. A good choir, praise band, cantors, or other spiritual music. John Miltimore at Intellectual Takeout is the one who is reporting on this study. As you look at those factors, are any of those in and of themselves wrong things to be encouraged by in a church or think through? No. No. In fact, when we have a newcomer dessert and Pastor Wayne sits with people coming into the church, he asks questions similar to this, hey, what are you looking for? Who are you? And it allows us to get to know them a little bit better about who they are and also allows us to evaluate a little bit about how we do things. But can I propose that this survey is flawed? Here's why. Because the reason that we should come to church is to worship the Lord and Him only. That's it. To show honor to Him because He saved us. And we do that by listening to the Word being preached, by singing songs to glorify Him, by serving, by getting involved with other people's lives. We do all of those things because he loved us so much, but our purpose is to show up to worship him and him only. The wrong question is being asked. In fact, specifically, I believe that this survey is flawed because it, allowed the, it led the reporter of the article to conclude his little segment by asking the question of whether or not we should include music in a worship service, which takes up about half of the time typically in most services, because only 38% said it was important to them. Last time I checked, we weren't supposed to listen to people that way. 
It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. In a sermon entitled Words of Wonder, What Happens When We Sing, Bob Coughlin says this, All told, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. The longest book of the Bible, the Psalms, is a book of songs. And in the New Testament, we're commanded not once, but twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another when we meet. Now, while, in my opinion, one of the biggest flaws in the modern church is that we have equated singing with worship in the wrong ways at times, by reading the Word and understanding the truth, it is very clear that one of the ways that we are to respond in love to love is that we declare the Lord's love for us by singing, which is why we just finished a whole series of psalms to help us understand the truths that we find in there about who God is, how big he is, our response to him. So let me ask you a few questions as we evaluate how we love the Lord. When we will dedicate ourselves to be on time to every kid practice or every movie that we are going to see, yet we stroll in 20 minutes late to church service because we don't like to sing, are we loving the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind? When we declare our allegiance to our country by ranting on social media about our thoughts, when we cheer for our teams with more zeal than proclaiming the good news to our neighbor, or when we spend every dime that we have, every waking moment that we have, trying to make our kids great athletes or academics, are we proclaiming wholeheartedly that we love the Lord our God, or are we worshiping other idols? Loving the Lord God with all of our heart and our soul and our minds should lead us to love the things that the Lord loves. And one of those things is that he loves himself. He is perfect love and we should worship him. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Brothers and sisters, it is good for us to obey the Lord. It is for our good that we honor him and him only. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. We should respond to his great love by loving him back. Are you stressed? Anxious? In our flesh, we are all prone to falling into a vicious cycle of negative thinking. I urge you today to examine your hearts and minds and ask the Lord to help you because by his power is the only way we can do this. And as you seek to love the Lord with all your whole life, you will think like Philippians 4, 8 describes. Whatever is true honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, 
if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I think sometimes we make life a little more complicated than it should be. And these leaders were asking Jesus a question because they were trying to wrap this all up into a neat little box. And Jesus actually did that for them and he said, you love me first. We are messengers a band, wrote a song called Magnify. Here's a few of their lyrics. My sight is incomplete and I'm made to look small. I've been staring at my problems for way too long. Realign where my hope is set until you're all that's left. But just a glimpse draws my heart to change and one side of you lays my sin to waste. I don't need to see everything, just more of you. Take it all, take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up, open up my eyes to you. When we learn to take every moment captive and learn to submit to the will of the Father, and love God because he first loved us. All the other stuff begins to fade away. He is the one who sustains us. And it would be beneficial for us if we listen to these simple words of Jesus when he says to love the Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Would you bow with me? Perhaps you have never trusted Jesus. You know you're a sinner. Or maybe that became clear for the first time today. God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I, I urge you today to trust in Jesus. Talk to him. Trust his son for his death and his resurrection because he is the son of God who offers life to you If you trusted Jesus today or have more questions about that, I ask that you would come see me when we are finished this morning. I would love to chat with you and help you see the God of love.
brothers and sisters, I hope that you take this familiar passage and you wrestle with it. And you examine your heart and everything that you do and see if you can stand up and say, I love God with everything I've got. Father in heaven, you are great and you are greatly to be praised. It is because of your love for us that we have the opportunity to love you back. We get to be near the creator of the universe because you cared for us so much to make it right. And God, I ask that you would help us to walk away excited about continuing to develop that relationship with you. That we would spend time nurturing that and getting to know you and allowing your spirit to change us from the inside out so that we will shout from the rooftops, that we will sing joyfully with every breath because you are good. Father, take all of these funds and our offering this morning and use them so that we can help other people see your great love. In Jesus' name.